0: Welcome FEI Engage subscribers. My name is Olivia Berkman, and this episode is a conversation with Cisco's Pratt Bot. Pratt discusses risk-taking, not staying in your lane, and how to join a board of directors. Please enjoy the conversation. Hi, everyone. Thank you, Shivani. Welcome. My name is Olivia Berkman. I'm the managing editor of FEI Daily and host of FEI's podcast, Balance Sheet. Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Pratt Bott, Senior Vice President and Chief Accounting Officer at Cisco. He leads Cisco's controllership organization with global responsibility for accounting and reporting and financial controls covering all aspects of Cisco's business. He holds a graduate degree in accounting from the University of Southern California, a bachelor's degree in economics from the University of California, Santa Cruz, and he is a licensed CPA. Before you all meet Pratt, I'd like to highlight that our next speaker in the series will be Sarah Blake, Senior Vice President and Chief Accounting Officer at Venture Global LNG that will be taking place on July 15th. So you can register for that at financialexecutives.org slash events. Now, I am happy to introduce you all to Pratt. Pratt, thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Yeah, thank you, Olivia, for for having me. This is uh, very, very nice to do. I appreciate it.
0: So before we get to your background and your current role, we were just chatting about uh, the past year and and being home with kids. (laughs) Maybe that's one of them. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, I just wanted to, to ask you like, what the, what's that experience been like having your, your adult children home with you for different periods of time, trying to work and then maybe, (laughs) and then maybe if you have any tips, um, for those listening just to how to stay productive, any remote work kind of takeaways, um, from that experience.
1: Yeah, sure. It's what a, what a crazy year it's, it's been. That uh, phone calls that constantly come in. So that's part of uh, part of the wonderful things about the, the role. But um, yeah, the last year has been pretty nutty So sorry. The last year's been pretty nutty in that um, you know we've all had to make this adjustment from working from home, obviously. and uh, being able to do the role in this way is not something I ever expected to do, but, but you know on a personal front to your point, um, you know, the family dynamic's been interesting. So, you know, as we were talking about, I've got uh, three, three children, uh, all adults, um, and then two of them with the COVID situation uh, have been living with us. In fact, one of them was doing a semester abroad in Italy. So we had to quickly extract him right at the beginning of, of all of this from Italy, fly him back home. Um, and so his international experience turned into, you know, uh, just more time with mom and dad at home. And then, um, he ended up graduating his, uh, completed his undergrad at, uh, Loyola Marymount. And, uh, we did that in the backyard. My, my daughter, uh, finished her sophomore year in college, you know, from, from home as well. And, uh, you know, it's, it's been, it's been nutty, but, uh. The, the flip side of it is, it's it's a year with my family, you know, in, in a way that I would have never experienced, you know, had this all not happened, right? So every day, for instance, we sit down, dinner, six o'clock, and uh, I got to tell you, in my career, that's been a very difficult thing to to do, is get home on time for dinner, something as simple as that. And, you know, for the last year plus, we've been having dinner together. And so, you know, there's there's been a lot of... Upsides out of it too, right it it all hasn't been negative by any means Oh I have Olivia
0: um, oh sorry about that I was still on mute. All right, okay, we're working out okay. the kinks everybody <laughs> yeah, so I is working remote. Something that comes naturally to you. Is that something that, uh, you found, do you, are you productive from home? Uh, and if not, if it doesn't come naturally to you, what Uh, advice would you have for others? Well,
1: yeah, no, it's, it's a good question and that I, I definitely sort of changed my ways. You you know, I, I was pretty old school, you know, going to office every day and so forth. And, uh, um, I did sort of come to the realization that, you know what, you can be very productive working from home, being in different locations. And in fact, you know, there's a whole hybrid work uh, environment that we'll be going back to when we do go back. That's going to be fundamentally different than what we've ever experienced before. For for me personally, though, um, I'll put it this way. So I have been able to get the the job done. I've been productive. Uh, There's really no line between kind of work and personal anymore, because it all sort of blends together and is one thing. Um, and on, on sort of the, the negative side of it, while I've been able to get everything done, I just, I don't feel as effective as a leader as I had been, because I, I'm i sort of a, I manage by walking around, if, if, if you will, right? And uh, it's, it's a big worldwide organization. So that means that uh, I traveled a lot, right, and went to you know all of our um, or many of our international sites, and uh, would visit and you know do reviews there and so forth. And um, that's obviously not the way it's worked over the past year plus. And so while we, we've been able to get the job done, just kind of the human connection, I think, is more kind of mechanical, you know, in the way we're working today. And so it's. Uh, you know, there's things that I've learned clearly about, you know, being how to be productive working in this sort of environment. But I, I I'm very much a people person. I want to get back out there and travel and go to all of our sites and so forth. I just I just think you get much more out of it. I I think our, our teams get much more out of it too when you have that sort of live interaction. So, you know, we'll be going into hybrid. And so that'll be yet another learning as well. We'll right? sort of figure out together what that all means.
0: Right. I'm with you. I, I miss that aspect too, of, of being in an office and the social collaboration. It's, it's just different. Um, and uh, before we get into, you know, you mentioned the challenges being a leader uh, and I, and I, want to get to that. I'd like to start with some background. So tell us first about your current role. And then if you would sure. just walk us through kind of the path, maybe since college. Yeah.
1: yeah so, so in, 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 you captured a lot of it, you know, upfront, but just to you know, kind of walk through it a little bit more. So, um, first off, I've been at Cisco for over 20 years. Uh, My intention, by the way, is to be here uh, two years, and then I would go somewhere else, but uh, obviously didn't play out that way. Um, And and so, um, as you said, I'm Chief Accounting Officer uh, and I'm responsible for anything and uh, everything related to accounting and financial reporting, um, whether it directly reports up through me or my organization directly or not. Right. So, so kind of the, the buck stops here. Uh, but but in addition to that, you know, of course, it's you know the financial controls, all of our systems. So if you think about just the design of all of our financial systems all around the world, um, I, you know, in concert, obviously, the IT organization. Um, We're responsible for that. We, We have a finance transformation office where we drive change across the entire finance organization. So we've got uh, responsibility for for that. Um, So that goes well beyond kind of the controllership, um, you know, portion of things. Um, Shared services, you know, so all of the uh, kind of operational transactional areas that make the company go, you know, everything from payroll to to, to payables and receivables, management collections and so forth. And and then um, um, something that's a little bit unique, we have an operational uh, financial operational group that runs our um, in-house captive financing company. So we we have a big financing company. So, you know, you think about all the operational areas there. Um, so I'm I'm responsible for, for that too. So worldwide, that's about uh, 1,200 people or so, if you consider people that work, you know, directly for Cisco, but then also we have a lot of outsourced arrangements and the, and the like. So that's um, that's the team. And I mean, just a, a bit of, A bit of background, sort of how I, you know, got here. Um, I, uh, you know, I'll go back a little bit further, just contextually. Um, When when I was an undergrad, I uh, I got an internship, you know, in the local municipality um, in the accounting organization, and uh, it was neat because I basically worked in every part of accounting. So everything from uh, procurement to payables to general accounting and all of the different functions, I was able to kind of rotate through and that turned into my uh, my job uh, while I was in school. And so uh, I got my $6 an hour, I got my beer money, and uh, actually it was a great experience. And and part of that experience was I got to work with the auditors, and uh, which were Arthur and Anderson at the time. and. Uh, I would, you know, work with them and pulling together the stuff that they needed and so forth. And so I learned a lot of things uh, just hands-on. So when I uh, graduated, I decided to go to grad school in accounting. My undergrad was not accounting, and so I got my graduate degree in accounting from uh, from USC, as you said. And um, you know. Uh, just to age myself a little bit, interviewed with each of the eight firms that existed uh, at at the time, and I went to work for Arthur Young, uh, which soon, you know, became then, of course, Ernst & Young. And I was there a little bit, you know, over nine years or so. And uh, what was neat in those days, and it's, you know, just different structure then, right? It was you got to work on everything. So I was in the audit practice, but I did sort of everything you can imagine for my clients. So we did M and A due diligence and and public debt transactions and just all sorts of transactional work. And I know that today it's more. Um, separated within the firms and you have all these specialty groups and so forth. But back in those days, and this is kind of a reference to to the nineties, I guess, you worked in in sort of everything. And and so that was really neat for for me because I've always been one to sort of I just want to get a full and broad perspective on things and allowed me to to do that. And at some point, you know, I decided I was a a senior manager at the time, and I decided, you know what, I I really enjoy working on the client side of things, and uh, so I decided to leave public accounting. I went to work, um, you know, directly in the corporate environment. Uh, I had done a lot of uh, healthcare and um, as well as financial services and sort of everything else um, seeming like under the sun. But I went to work for uh, a very large HMO uh, at the time and uh, worked there for about a year and a half, which wasn't very long, and and it wasn't in the accounting space. I ran essentially kind of the corporate financial planning um, organization, and so it was very different than what I had uh, learned, and it was good. right? It gave me exposure to FP&A that I didn't have before, Uh, but I did decide to leave pretty quickly, like I said, a year and a half. And and, uh, the interesting thing there was... Uh, I had a great, great boss uh, at the time, and I told him I was leaving, and he he didn't understand why and, you know, what can I do to to kind of hold on to you? And I said, "Um, well, I'm leaving because I'm too young in my career to be this comfortable, and I don't think he quite understood, you know, what that meant, but it was just I wanted to move sort of faster. And, and learn more. And I didn't think the environment was allowing for that, and so I then came to Cisco. And going back to my comment, I came to Cisco to, to uh, learn things up. I thought I'd be here a couple of years. The company had really good practices, um, and and you know, 20 years later, here here I am, and that sort of goes to. You know, um, just the company allowing me to work, you know, in this incredibly broad way, which, you know, I, I value tremendously.
0: So you said that when you were at Arthur Young, you really worked in everything. You kind of had your hands in everything. And I think I know the answer to this, but it, is that because you asked for those opportunities or is that, was that really the culture at the time? Yeah,
1: it was, it was both. I'd say, cause okay. um, I, I, um, you know, I I worked in the honor practice, and that was of What you did, but you know, these were kind of the pre-socks days where you were allowed, you know, regulatory wise, to work in different things. And then I would constantly raise my hand um, to to volunteer to go work in lots of different things. And then it got to the point where my clients would say, "Hey, you know, we want Pratt to work on this particular engagement." And so just one thing turned into another. So I'd be doing auditing and I'd have special projects going on all along the way. So it, it, for me at the time, that structure uh, of the firm's really worked because it, it allowed me, you know, a lot of latitude. And, and that's really what key part of what drives me to be, to be honest.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm wondering because it, for those who are at a firm now or c- going to be joining a firm and they may have more of that narrow experience, how can they get really as much out of it as you did? You know, like what, ad, what, how, what advice would you give? Yeah, you know, I,
1: I, that's a great question. In fact, I get... It's the same thing in my company, by by the way, because as we've grown and, and evolved, uh, the roles are much much more structured. Because when I first joined twenty plus years ago, you sort of did a little bit of everything. So the the advice I always give is, he doesn't. Of, of course, you're going to go into your role and you're going to learn the foundational aspects of that role and learn, and you want to be the best at that as you can be, right? So that's. Be always work on your craft, your core competency, because that 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 really is the foundation of everything you do. But that can't be it alone, right? So the advice piece of this then is look for opportunities, look for 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 improvements, productivity controls, just improve systems, and just you know I I I simplify sort of everything down, right? My my objective. When I come to work, and this is part of the advice I get is I want to solve one business problem a day, and I am at best, you know, like a, uh, you know, a hitter in baseball, right? You know, maybe if you hit, it, if you're good on that, about a third of the time, that's pretty, pretty darn good, but it's very, very hard, and so. Solving a problem isn't getting the books closed, isn't doing like the day-to-day financial reporting and all that. It's actually identifying a business problem and driving and pushing and doing everything you can to solve that. And it could be, you know, depending whatever level you're at. So you could be, you know, a new hire in a company straight out of school. And I tell this to my um, oldest son as he went into the workforce; he's a finance person as well. So just. If you have that attitude, just go in there and just try to improve one thing every single day and lots of great things then happen after that. And just keep it simple that way.
0: That's great advice. Um, I do want to remind everybody that you can submit uh, questions. So uh, I'll, I'll get those to Pratt as we go along. Uh, on the subject of solving business problems, uh, you and I discussed taking like a broader, more holistic maybe approach to your role, uh, then might be typical. Tell us what that means to you. What does that look like for you?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, um uh, in, you know, it's part of how I'm built too. I just want to know how things work. So, um, if, so let's, let's say an accounting issue sort of pops up and, and we've got to work it out and so forth. My sort of go-to approach is, well, let's whiteboard it out. And I whiteboard end to end, and not just around that particular item, because I look at every one of these situations as, you know, two ways. One, it's an opportunity for me to learn about things that I don't already know, and then two, it's an opportunity to identify other issues because. Ten times out of ten, if there's one issue, that uh, or one business issue, there's there's something broader and deeper, and so you gotta get down to root cause, and so I sort of go to my toddler test, which is, you know, you ask the why, 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 like five times, and and you get down to, you know, what really is the heart of the issue, and it sort of forces you to to take this broad view of things, and and I think with that you get a better appreciation of not only what the problem is, but, but, you know, how the business works in that particular area. And by doing this, you're just, I mean, you're just building more and more sort of personal value. You're developing yourself. You're bringing more value to your organization. And so it's it's really grabbing any opportunity you can to operate that broadly. And for me, you know, it's, it's not just... Kind of a good business thing to do. It's it's just how I'm built, and and if I um, if I can bring value and and you know to the company and, and develop my own skills and capabilities, better off for, for all involved. And uh, I'll, I'll I'll say this out loud, and I've said this in our company. If all I did was like the pure accounting and stayed between the guardrails on that, I would have been bored a long time ago and quit and gone on to do something different. Because uh, that's that's just not what I want to do and never wanted to do, you know, my that in my career. It's it's I, I love the foundation of my role, but it's got to be bigger and broader than that.
0: To keep you interested, yeah, I understand that. Yeah. I love I love the toddler mentality. The why why why? I'm with my toddler at home. I'm at the no 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 stage, so I can't <laughs> wait for the why 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 stage. <laughs>
1: Uh, yeah, I'm sure I, I, the people I work with, I drive them nuts, but uh, you don't even need to get down to five whys. If if you get down to like three whys, oftentimes that gets you down to sort of the issue.
0: The mm-hmm. real issue. So to me, that's curiosity is a component yeah. of that. And I want to know what, what you think drives your curiosity.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I think it's, it's, you know, it's kind of inherently part of who, who I am, but step one, I guess, is you really have to enjoy what you're doing, right? You have to have a passion for it. So whatever, whatever it is, but, uh, if you don't have a passion for it, you, you know, it's go find something else to, to do sort of the way I look at it. But once you have this passion and this energy around it, you, you, you want to have this kind of Hit in your stomach. I know it's a terrible way of explaining it, but just the sort of this unease as you start the day, in terms of you don't know what you're going to come across, but you know you're going to hard charge and go after everything. And you, you, you it's it's really around figuring out how things work, why they work the way they do, what's the source of these issues, and and uh, it's just you know I've always been in that way. Um, when I, I I like to work with my hands a lot, setting aside sort of the financial world for a second, and uh, so I build things. I work on cars a lot, and and so forth. So when I walk into any place, I'm always looking around how things are constructed. Right? It's just it's just my thing. I want to figure out how things work. And I'll tell you a uh, an embarrassing but maybe kind of funny story. When my daughter, who's now going to be a junior, when she went off to college, she um, Uh, It it was kind of depressing, right? You know, my last kid going off to college, house is empty. It only stayed empty for a few months before COVID. But um, and and so what? What did I? What did I do? I decided to build something. My wife has always wanted chickens, and so I built a a chicken coop. But this is the Taj Mahal of chicken coops that I built, and it's. It's absolutely beautiful, if I may say, and it has got all sorts of technology that's enabled it—sensors and doors that open and close, and watering, and everything's automated. So, you know, it's—it's the only reason I tell you that story is just get into it, and and you want to make it better and better, and you keep going after it, and you know, you just have this deep curiosity and passion and, and you uh, keep going at it and it's just, you know, it's just how I'm built, I guess, at the end of the day.
0: I love that. Will you build a chicken coop for us?
1: Sure thing. Sure thing. I, uh, but, but it, you know, it's, it's a long involved process and you probably don't want to be around cause I get annoying. I'm sure as I go through the process. <laughs> but it will be nice. I can assure you of that. Thank, I have a question. Oh, I've learned a lot. I've learned a lot on YouTube. Put it that
0: way. We all have. Isn't that funny now these days if you have a if you're putting some I just moved into a new house, so I'm constantly putting things together. And I have always the instructions with me, but constantly checking YouTube to if, if something goes wrong, if something goes awry, I know that somebody posted something to YouTube and that's how I'm gonna figure it out. Oh,
1: it's wonderful. I, I, I wish yeah. I was good enough person that I would actually post my own videos. So.
0: Oh, I know. Re- really, you should, of all people. <laughs> so we got a question from the audience. You mentioned the share services as part of your responsibility. Can you please share what's the importance of SSC? Now, I, I think this means just for myself and everybody listening, shared service center. Is that right? Mm-hmm. SSC, okay. Yeah, yeah, to organizations... That's right. Okay, and what and what's your advice to have a successful shared services?
1: Yeah, no, it's it's tough. I mean, it is. So, so first of all, in our shared services, we have a number of areas, right? So we've got uh, kind of general accounting type activities. We've got payroll and accounts payable all of our billing and collections and uh, accounts receivable management uh, is in there, our stock plan services or so stock administration. Like I mentioned, the, the support of our Cisco capital business. And so there, there's a lot in there and it's, you you really have to become a process expert. So th- th- this is, you know, a financial person can't just automatically be an expert in shared services, right? You've got to be, Become an expert in, say, Six Sigma, and then become a deep expert in controls, become a deep expert in systems. I mean, it's all of these things that really, you know, you need training and project management is, is another aspect of that, right? And it's, it's having those skills and obviously having a wonderful leadership team. So you have to build out the best team you can possibly build, right? And that's incredibly important. And... You then sort of step back and have to simplify things. And I think this is kind of a key thing. So really be clear about what your objectives are. And different shared services are going to have different... Objectives: Some are built for scale. Some are built for cost. Some are built for quality. And, of course, we all want all of those things. But, but you know, it's a matter of where on the scale do you want to be for each one of those, each one of those, and, and being very, very clear about that. And I think the other thing is just stepping back and, and not... Um, being bound to a single technology or single process approach. It's, it's really being very open um, and being agnostic to different types, of, you know, to, to this particular technology because the technology constantly evolves. And once you have sort of those north stars, then stepping back and saying, okay, how do I organize, you know, uh, things to, to drive to get to, to meet those objectives? And, and in our case, so obviously, the operating results are really, really important, right? So having operational pillars uh, for each of those areas that I mentioned. But if, if that's all you did, if you just had operational pillars, I think then you're, you're sort of missing out on other concentrations that you may need. So we then designed centers of excellence for, for a variety of things. So to give you a sense of what those are, one around governance and controls, another one around uh, business analytics, and and data architectures. And then another one around process improvement, but constantly looking outside to understand what are the leading technologies, what are the best practices and so forth. So those centers of excellence, for those those three that I just mentioned, they provide services, if you will, to each of those operational pillars. Um, And so that structure allows us to have operational uh, excellence but at the same time, we're constantly challenging and evolving on each of those dimensions that I just mentioned. And By the way, you can have different centers of excellence and you have strong leaders in each one of those. And I think that's really important because you're trying to create healthy tension, which is very different than just tension. And that healthy tension causes us to all be better, uh, in my view, because the person who's identifying the best practices is bringing those back to each of the operational pillars saying, this is what's going on in the marketplace. Here's the next greatest technology. And uh, you know, when you benchmark yourself, let's identify what some of the gaps are and start driving those. So there's this constant virtuous cycle that's, been, that's created between the operational pillars and then each of those Centers of Excellence, so you're constantly, you know, assessing, uh, identifying gaps, improving, and and you just continue the cycle over and over again. And by the way, you can have different Centers of Excellence depending on what it is you're trying to accomplish. So, kind of a long answer there, but it's uh, it's an area I really really enjoy, and it, I mean it's a definitely. A set of skills that you have to develop. Just because you're a, a deep financial expert doesn't mean that you're going to be an expert on running a shared services center. Great.
0: Thank you. Another question from the audience. This is a, a great one. Are there any new skills that you are seeking in your controllership group? Are there areas that experienced people should be learning about?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that, uh, there's a lot. There's a lot. Um, so, First from a technology point of view, so um, I'll say it this way, and I say this to my team all the time. If you are not uh, enabling the use of robotics, RPAs, in your day-to-day, and you're a finance professional, you gotta get with the program. It, it's got to be core to what you do as a finance professional. So just a my analogy that I use just to, again, date myself a bit is, um, when I first started in the profession, we didn't know how to use spreadsheets. There was one person on, say, an audit team that knew how to use a spreadsheet, but it was not, you know, it's not, you know, uh, common at, at the time. Can you imagine today uh, being a finance professional and not knowing how to use a spreadsheet? Right? And then we all learned how to use macros. And now, think about spreadsheets and the use of them, you know, it's it's pivot tables and sorting and filtering and deed lookups, you know, all of these sort of things. And that's just, Basic table stakes for a finance professional. RPA's is to me it's it's, it's analogous to, to that. So if if you're not uh, deeply rooted or getting yourself deeply rooted in how to drive desktop automation, I think that's that's an absolute gap that that you ought to seek to address because RPA's you know as I say that's those are so yesterday you know but but. You know you've got to have those. So if you don't, key skill set, because then it's on to the next, which is blockchain and machine learning and AI, a whole host of technologies. But you've got to continue to constantly evolve yourself um, and challenge yourself on that. And there's other there's other things that I mentioned too, Uh, being a process expert, being a Six Sigma expert, or you know pick pick your process uh, framework that you want to know to be an expert in that can uh, being a controls expert learning about data and data architectures and systems designs and so forth these are all skills that I think are critical for success for a finance professional so it's not just if you're a technical accountant you know I would I would push you that it's it's not just knowing your your uh, codification you know backwards and forwards and and uh, all the gap and SEC and all of those sort of skills it's it's operating much much broader so um, one thing that I would never skimp on in my organization from a budgetary standpoint is training and development for the team so the expectation I have for my team is every year you got to be doing 80 hours right from a continuing professional education point of view, and that could be you teaching, that could be um, taking courses, and and it's not, it should not be a check the box exercise. These should be, you know, taking courses and developing in areas that you don't have the skills. Um, so it's not just brushing up on like things; it's learning new skills and capabilities. Because I think the finance professional of the future has to have the things that I just mentioned, and I'm sure lots of others that I didn't, um, to continue to evolve.
0: Speaking of your team, I wonder what you think was the biggest challenge for your team during uh, COVID. And because it sounds like for you, and correct me if I'm wrong, the biggest challenge for you as a leader was about maybe not being in person and and missing that connection and uh, the collaboration <clears throat> so, was that actually the biggest challenge for you as a leader? do you think and and what were you hearing from your team?
1: Yeah, I know it's it's what's fascinating, right? is, you know, every one of us has a different set of circumstances professionally and at home, right you 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 have a newborn, a relatively newborn, right? and And so your challenges are going to be fundamentally different than mine. I think as a leader. The biggest challenge really was getting a pulse on your organization and, and making sure you're connecting with your team so you understand what the challenges are and not, you know, categorizing and grouping and trying to solve for all at the same time because it's you can't because you know, what's going on with me on any given day is going to be very different than what's going on with you or, or somebody else. But but I think recognizing that everyone is challenged, everyone's got different circumstances. And so for me, it was, one, with my leadership team, driving the acknowledgement that, one, stay connected with your teams. Get your your connections with your teams down to a level such that you understand What's going on, and, and what each individual needs to be successful. Someone may be challenged with having, you know, a group of toddlers that are all trying to, uh, um, you know, be taught over video. Um, someone else may have elderly parents that they need to take care of, and it's everyone's got different challenges. So, I think one recognize that everyone's challenges are different, and and uh, to have an empathetic view to, to that, you know, put yourself in their shoes, understand what's needed and so forth and provide your teams with uh, the flexibility they need. So it's, it's tough, right? Cause in the profession that, that I'm in, you know, every quarter you've got to close the books and it's this very stressful period and so forth, but you know what, there's still the opportunity to provide uh, a level of flexibility uh, in there, taking people's situations in, into account. And, and again, having that empathy. And I think maybe, maybe the last element is recognizing that just from a pure mental health point of view, that people are going to be challenged. And, and you, you have to sort of keep that in mind and letting your team know that it's okay to, to have, you're having a tough time. Excuse me. It's okay to step aside and and um, let others kind of step in and and take over things when you need you need that break. And, and uh, leaders really need to need to evolve, I think, over this past year because you know leading or managing in the office is seems to be a heck of a lot easier, you know, when you step back than leading in this sort of environment, particularly when there's so many people who are being challenged health wise and, and, uh, and other wise with what's going on. So I think it's those things. And I, you know, I, I, think we've all gotten better for, for all of this.
0: From your answer to that last question, I think we got a lot of insight to this, but can you describe your personal leadership style for us?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's um I mean, it's a few things. I I um I I've always been kind of a people person. I like to connect at a personal level. Um call that a relationship person uh, uh, or whatever, but uh, I uh, I I want to connect, you know, and have genuine connections and that requires you know to to really establish those so doing one-on-ones with team members skip levels you know all sorts of different ways so you can you know be connected with your team and, and genuinely mean it you're not just checking a box but genuinely mean it uh i'm a lead by example sort of person and so um you know, let's take an area, fixed assets is, you know, I I want to, when, when there's an issue in that space, I actually want to get down into the, like I was saying before, get down deep levels and, and not just deal with, the, you know, the leaders that may report to me, but let's bring in the teams. Let's have them walk through with us and kind of what's going on so we can truly sort of understand what the issues are and so forth. So really lead by example, getting down into the details. And I think being able to connect the dots from the lowest level of detail all the way up to the strategy—that's a skill that uh, you know takes a long time to develop. I don't think I've certainly mastered it by any means, but um, I, I do think that you know as a leader, I've gotten pretty good at going from the lowest level to that strategy, so I can have again going back to the sort of broad view. So I, I can have a holistic view of things, and that's that's really my objective. I'm trying to have this. Holistic view of the business and sort of all the piece parts and so forth to that, and uh, you yeah, know connect with people on a very real level, and uh, I think that's that's a lot of what sort of makes me up. And you know, trying to be approachable and and uh, you know. Uh, just a, a regular type person, as opposed to, to being full of myself and egotistical. To be quite, you know, frank, I think just uh, keeping it real is uh, is a big, big part of it, and, and not letting your ego get the better of me.
0: Question from the audience: How do you identify future leaders on your team? Are you looking for those aspects uh, in them? Is there anything outside of kind of those qualities that you that you talked about? Yeah,
1: so it's it's a really good question, and I'll tell you um, what I really look for. Right? Is so. So it goes back to you know whatever your core competency is, not about, Right? That that's always going to be a given. Right? And there's no excuse for not being an expert. But that alone isn't what's going to do it. Right? That that'll make for a good employee, but that doesn't make for a great leader. I think what I'm looking for, and by the way, it's leadership at all levels, right? It's not like who's gonna be the next, you know, chief county officer top of this It's it's you know, I'm looking for that energy, that motivation, that go to uh, and go get it done sort of attitude. Um, it goes back to like the basic problem solving. Where, you know, I want those individuals that are hard charging and want to get in there and and show that they're highly motivated and, and solve and solve issues. I'll I'll tell you uh, a bit of advice I got a long time uh, kind ago. Of when so when I first started at Cisco, I uh, got this wonderful opportunity, and I, I started as a, kind of an early manager. Um, um took some demotions and so forth to, to, when I came to Cisco, um, which was good because I get to learn everything from from the ground up. But uh, they working on this project, it turned out really well, sat down with the CFO at the time. His name was uh, Larry Carter, uh, wonderful, wonderful person. and uh, and I, you know had this great opportunity, and so I was asking for advice, and I asked the question about, you know, how, do you, how, do you, how are you a good manager? You know what makes a good manager? And I'll never forget his response. And he said, that you've got to make sure you hire people that are different than you, that, that are gonna think differently, bring different things to the table, and you can't just hire people that think like you, right? You, you know, and he was really getting at diversity of thought and, and diversity diversity in the broadest sense. And it was around, if you have diversity of thought, you're gonna get to better answers. And so what I translated that into a whole bunch of things. So for instance, if you were to come into our shop and see how we operate, um, you know, another thing I always say to, to, you know, when we're working on an issue is if I'm right more than half the time, there's a problem. Cause either I'm, gonna, I'm wrong, cause there's no way I can be right more than half the time. Um, and it better be the team that's really more right than I am, because they're the ones that are the experts and work on the issue. And so constructive debate, I think, is absolutely necessary. So that's another aspect of what makes a good leader. It's this energy, this motivation, but someone who who can kind of bring that to the table and can can go after things and constructively debate and challenge. And those, those are things that I really sort of look for, right? Not just the technical expert, but, but someone who sort of brings that that whole extra set of skills and capabilities, you know, that I just went on through.
0: <clears throat> Great advice that that person gave you. I'm sure a lot of us tend to just gravitate towards people who are like us. And that's why we have some of the, I think, problems that we have in, kind of corporate America as far as hiring practices go. Um, and I'm curious to know what other experiences or maybe particular people in your career or in your life have shaped your leadership style, yeah. the way that you work, you know, the career that you now have, what do you attribute that to all of that too?
1: Yeah, it's, um, you know, I'll, I'll start with one word, which is, uh, listening, and it's really, really important to listen more than you speak. And for me, that's hard because I am one of those people that's, way you know, I'm out there. Um, but uh, just listening and observing and, you know, being, being able to sort of look at yourself and and being self-critical, to evaluate, well, what are the skills and capabilities I really need to work on? And observing other great leaders. There isn't any one leader that I try to emulate. But I've been extremely fortunate in my career that I have worked for and worked with uh, a lot of extremely good leaders. And what I've tried to do is pick up on skills that I see that they have, approaches that they have and I'm constantly like building out my leadership you know toolkit. So I'll, I'll give you a, a real example. So I think a lot of people would have on their um, list of things to improve on public speaking. And I would tell you that I, I had that on my list but you know as I kind of went through my career I figured out that well that's a really really broad category and you've got to really break that down. And so, it's communicating for different circumstances, right? Just to continue on the thought. So there are times that I'm communicating with my team, for instance, and I and I'm trying to be motivated, right? And that's a whole different type of approach to communicating, where you're trying to you know motivate and energize and drive, and and uh, how you convey that. Versus when I am communicating to say our board, is you know there's an element of what I'm trying to do, which is convey. Um, information. You know, uh, uh, taking really complex things, simplifying them down, and conveying them in a in, in a way that they understand our approach. But it's not just that. There's an element of which what you're communicating and how you're communicating, which is trying to inspire their confidence in you as a leader. And and so, well, that's a pretty interesting. Uh, um, you know, way of thinking about communication. You're trying to get someone to have confidence in what it is that you're saying and and how you're in fact showing up as a as a leader. Well, that's you've really got to think about that. How do you inspire someone's confidence in, in you? And there's a lot of elements to that. So I've tried to be really, really self critical, look at all sorts of leaders, understand their styles and just constantly like, you know, build up my, my toolkit and uh you know, use different tools for different circumstances. And, you know, it's, I, I attribute kind of, you know, having a good career with, you know, just a lot of the wonderful things I've learned from uh, people I've worked with.
0: Have you sought out mentors uh, through your career? Has it just happened naturally? Has it happened in like a structured, like a program type of way?
1: Uh, yes, some both. So early in my career, um, I, you know, you, you're sort of assigned mentors, and you sort of go through that process. And what, what I ultimately sort of evolved into was, you know, it goes back to this recognition of, you, you know what, I it's good to have a, uh, an outside-in perspective. So, and, and I think building out sort of a, a group of mentors is what I've ultimately evolved to. Uh, is really, really important. So, people that you work with maybe closely will give you one perspective, but then kind of the other extreme, people that you don't interact with on a daily basis who, who see you from more of a distance, they're going to give you a different perspective. And, and so, um, I've, I've sought out mentoring... Uh, very actively. And so I sit on FEI's Committee on Corporate Reporting, which is a wonderful, wonderful group of, of peers. And there are a number of members on that uh, on that committee, I won't name them, but a number of members of that committee who, you know, I view as mentors. I've learned a tremendous amount from them. Uh, hopefully I've you know, been able to give them perspective too. Uh, but, but I think having mentors and You know, recognizing that it's not just your manager who can give you advice. It's it's kind of creating this bit of an ecosystem. I think you really have to think about that and and seek out these these mentors because I think it's it's active. You you you, you've got to work at it um, because it doesn't. You're you're not always going to get you know all the feedback you need to develop from just your
0: manager. A woman that I interviewed for balance sheet, uh, the podcast, uh, a while back called it her, her personal advisory board. Yeah. And that was sort of, yeah. you know, the, the group of men, women, people older than her, younger than her, all the voices that she turned to when she was looking to make a decision or make a career move, what have you. And I, that always stuck with me.
1: I do. I, I actually have a list. And I make sure I, on a regular basis, I'm sort of ticking through and, uh, it goes back to, you know, leadership style. I, 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 set up these calls all the time just to connect and, and, uh, seek advice and all of those sorts of things. I think that's critically important.
0: Now, speaking of boards, uh, you did recently just join the Seagate board. Is that right? That's and
1: right. Yeah, so, yeah.
0: Yeah. So tell us congratulations and tell us about the experience of joining the board and, and what do you think you did to get there? I know there are always FEI members and and probably people on this call who are looking to join a board. And I'd love to get your advice uh, for those hoping to one day join a board, maybe for the first time or join other boards. Maybe they're already sitting on a board. What, what was that experience like, first of all, and then what were your kind of takeaways?
1: Yeah, yeah, no. It, I mean, just to step back a little bit, the the, the reason that I wanted to, you know, um, get on a board and get this board experience was, um, quite simply, I've, I've developed, I think, a good set of skills and capabilities and, and uh, perspective over over my career, and I want to bring them to bear in a fundamentally different way than than you know in my my role at Cisco, and so really, it's kind of additive to, to what I do. And so, really, it was around that, right? Using my skills in a very different way, and uh, you know, it's, it's 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 this mentoring thing, you know, all over again, right? It's it's having you know, building out your network, um, making connections, but but not solely for you know the objective of getting on a board, because you're constantly getting advice and perspective and so forth and you're building that out and uh, and and you know there's the big recruiting firms and obviously established connection um, with, with those firms is, is really important but it, but it's more so around building out your network uh, and everyone will tell you that who's on a board that it's really important to build out that network and and it's true I mean you have to do that because what ends up happening then it's the opportunities end up more kind of word of mouth and you know there, there are those that's come from uh, the recruiting firms and so forth but it's it's really that combined with you know these connections that you've established over a long time and uh, you know and it's challenging right it's there's uh, it's really competitive there's a lot, a lot of really really good you know people that are that are out there and, uh, you know, it's, I think, step one is really understanding, like, why is this something you want to do? And I think what that does then, it lends itself to all the response. You're going to get all sorts of questions and challenges and so forth as you go through the interview process. And just going back to that touchstone of why is it that you're doing this, right? And I don't think the answer is, I'm doing it so I can build it on my resume, you know you got to be doing it for what I view to be the right reason, which is you're trying to, you know, help other organizations with the skills and capability you've developed over, over, you know, your entire career.
0: As a chief accounting officer, I have to think you have quite a bit of interaction with, you know, the Cisco board. And what do you think you learned from those interactions that you've taken with you as a now board member?
1: Yeah, that's that's really important because again it goes to you know just not just playing your role but looking broadly and you you're learning from each of the board members um, what are they looking for what are they pressing on what are their concerns and, and you're looking at you know how the board is is being run um, you, you know what's the charter but you know but, but more so, putting yourself in their shoes to understand their perspective, because ultimately once you get on a board, you, you, you've got to execute, you've got to come, you know, ready. And having that exposure is really, really important. That doesn't mean that you can't be on a board if you haven't had that direct connection. But if you haven't had that direct connection, I think what you have to then do is talk to a lot of board members. Uh, What do they like? What don't they like? What are you know, what, what are they looking for, and, and to have them tell you about their experiences. I did, put it this way, before I got on the Seagate Technology Board, I, ta- I had a lot of conversations and, um, you know, inserted myself into a lot of different dialogues about potential opportunities uh, before I found, found the right one. I had to be the right fit, you know, I had to be the right fit for them, while at the same time it needed to be the right fit for me as well, right? So it takes a lot of work. I mean, it's... Uh, It's, I won't say it's a full-time job, but it's, it's a big job because you have to really put a lot of time and energy into the whole process.
0: Absolutely. Uh, This is a question from the audience. It's probably the, the last one for us. What do you recommend to have a successful career like you, how to start and continue growing? What are the must haves? So I know we've been touching on a lot of this, but I just, I liked the question, um, and I guess we could zero in on it a little bit. What do you think are the must haves in you for you in your life? What were the must haves? What were the qualities or the moves that you made that you think really played an important role in getting you to where you are today?
1: Yeah, it's it's, so I'll I'll sort of answer from a different perspective than the way we've been talking about it. I think I can honestly say that I have never sought out a promotion in my career. I've never sought out more money. I've never sought out a um, particular role. You know, it didn't work that way for, for me. For me, it was around, I'm in a particular role, and what I'm trying to do is, I go back to the, you, you, you're trying to think broadly, you're trying to solve issues, and, and uh, you know help the company execute on its strategy, and doing all the things you need to for that. And you know what? You, you, know, you can be in a massive organization. Our finance organization is 3,000 people. It's enormous. And But you, you know what? People recognize when you have that passion for what it is that you're doing. Right? So, it doesn't matter if you're an individual contributor you know, straight out of college or you're, you're a senior person, but when you have that passion, you bring that energy and so forth, people take notice and then you, you're given your next challenge and it may not be exactly the challenge you want, but you're given the next challenge and you take it on and you, you do the same thing all over again. You learn it up, foundational skills, you challenge the status quo and you go solve issues and the next thing sort of happens. I, in the first half a dozen years at Cisco, I couldn't even tell you what my job was, in all honesty. That's because I, I, I had a core job, but I would constantly be inserted into different, you know, things that needed to be solved. And we've got such and such issue. Okay, let's get, you know, let's insert crowd into that. We've got this issue over here and insert that in. So I don't know if I've ever done a rotation from one job to another in my 20 plus years at Cisco, but I've worked in like every area. And that's because it's just, you know, you just have a passion to go after things. And and then the next challenge just sort of appears. And so I'm, that's that's the honest truth. I did not, never saw the promotion or anything like that. It's just been is constantly challenging the status quo and bringing energy and motivation and all that to it. And good things then happen.
0: That's fascinating. It's a fascinating philosophy. We hear so much like lean in and, you know, that kind of uh, advice and uh, taking a kind of a step back and letting things naturally unfold is not, not advice that we hear so much from leaders. And I, I appreciate it. It's a different, definitely a different perspective.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's great. It's about bringing the energy and the drive every day. So it's it's not just being satisfied with the job, right? It's sure. it's that job plus plus plus, right?
0: Yeah, and I certainly don't want to imply that you've sat back and let <laughs> and let things happen. We know I that that's that. not the case. Yeah, we know that that's not the case. But it's sort of it's sort of proving your worth every day. Uh, and and then letting things kind of naturally happen that way. And if you're not being rewarded in the role that you have, and you're putting uh, a lot of energy and thought in, then to me that means it's time to move on. Would you agree?
1: I absolutely agree. Exactly. Yeah. Spot on.
0: Yeah. Well, Pratt, this was a lovely conversation as I knew it would be, and I really appreciate your time today. I know everyone listening and watching uh, feels the same, so thank you so much.
1: Thank you for having me. So, I'm glad you you kicked off this series. This is this is great.